If, if you would uh, be kind enough to grab a seat, we'd like to uh, begin this morning. Uh, I'd like to welcome you uh, to Redeemer Montclair this morning. Uh, a very early happy Thanksgiving to you. We're uh, glad to have a week or it's a special day where we can set apart time in our lives to um, express our gratitude to God. And as we come to worship this morning, um, I'd like to briefly look at uh, the reflections that were scrolling on the screen in front of you and uh, are also printed in your bulletins this morning. Um, we're, uh, Pastor Dan's continuing his series on the Lord's Prayer, and this morning we've, we've come to the phrase, deliver us from the evil one, um, which leads to the question, who is the evil one? Uh, what is this all about, and why do we need to be delivered from him? Um, the first reflection, um, which is actually a song we're gonna sing in a few minutes by Martin Luther, uh, begins this way, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. So that has given us a little clue who the evil one is, with devils filled, and they're powerful enough to threaten to undo us. So the question is, do we believe that? Um, and is, is that true? Um, interestingly enough, uh, I was reading in personal devotions with, with my sons this week. We're reading through the, the book of First Chronicles, and First Chronicles chapter 21 begins this way. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Um, I, I don't believe it's a coincidence. I read that verse this week. You see, Satan has that power to rise up against Israel and incite David, the man after God's own heart, uh, to, um, to sin, to to have dire consequences. So Satan certainly has the power. So if Satan has the power, how can we prevail against him? And the answer to that is in our, in our second uh, quote reflection this morning by Samuel Chadwick, uh, which read, uh, the only concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless study, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Uh, William Cooper, a, a poet, um, put it this way, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. So the answer to how we can prevail against Satan is through prayer, and, and we're glad that uh, Pastor Dan will lead us through that this morning. Would you please uh, rise for the call to worship, which comes this morning from Psalm 100, or I'm sorry, sorry, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, and the mountains fade very surge. He says, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our Lord. Please pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you that 
as we come into your presence this morning, we can come knowing that you are God Almighty, that you are El Shaddai, and yet you invite us to call you our Father who art in heaven. What a privilege we have that you, the great creator of this universe, desire a personal relationship with us. We pray that as we come to worship you this morning, that we would, uh, through eyes of faith, um, view you as our heavenly Father, our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. For to whom else can we go but to you? You have the words of eternal life. Fill us with your spirit. Give us eyes of faith to see that you're with us and that you desire our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. A mighty fortress is our God. Still our ancient 
Good morning, church. Let's sing together. My foes are many, they rise against me. the opportunity to profess what it is that we believe, and we do so with the Church of all times and all places this morning using the Apostles' Creed. So Christian, I ask you, 
What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, descended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Today we're going to be singing a new song. If this is familiar to you, please join in. If not, just listen for a bit. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. No one else can satisfy, I should Keep 
Jesus said that if we thirst, if we're weak, if we fear, that we should come to him. And we have the opportunity to do that this morning in a time of renewal as we um, reflect on our hearts and lives and we confess our sins privately and corporately to our God. Uh, We'll do so this morning with the prayer of confession uh, corporately that uh, you can see on the screen. And that will be followed by a private prayer of confession, a time where we can each lay our hearts open to God and seek the the help and the grace and the strength that he has promised to give us when we come to him. So let's pray together uh, using the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, whose son Jesus Christ was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. We confess before you our own sinfulness. We have hungered after that which does not satisfy. We have compromised with evil. We have doubted your power to protect us. Forgive our lack of faith. Have mercy on our weakness. Restore in us such trust and love that we may walk in your ways and delight in doing your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear us while we pray. Take all our sin away. O let us from this day be holy thine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Receive this word of grace this morning from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is the word of the Lord. 
Please rise for our next song. Welcome to Redeemer Montclair. It's great to have you worshiping with us, and a special welcome to you if you are here with us for the first time. We're so glad to have you here with us, and just want to mention that there's an information card in the seat pockets in front of you or a QR code that says uh, newcomer, and uh, we'd love to hear from you either one of those uh, ways and love to follow up with a welcome letter. So I've been mentioning... Um, Weeks leading up, this morning we are having our congregational meeting right after the worship service, and I've been reminding you because it's not going to be a long one, but it's an important one. We're going to vote to affirm uh, the recommend, session-recommended candidates, three for elder and three for the diaconate, and uh, so that will happen right after the service, and so encourage you to stay, especially if you're a member, to help us make quorum and to cast a vote. So that's, again, right after the service. been mentioning the Great Escape uh, winter retreat for students, for middle school and high school students, uh, January 19th through 21. So uh, a little ways, but it's coming up, and registration is open. I just, talk, just talked to the uh, youth pastor who's organizing, and he said that, uh, that uh, they're expecting 350 students this year. It's a, it's a great group, uh, so there's uh, something great to look forward to. Registration is open for you students and uh, parents 
That registration link is available in Redeemer News or the Bulletin. It's in both places. It'll be there every week leading up to the retreat. So um, you can find it there. Uh, the cost is $160 per student, uh, but we don't want that to limit anyone from going. So uh, please talk to Alistair Halliday if you need financial assistance or if you have any, any questions. Our Redeemer Kids Christmas Choir, I believe, is rehearsing today in the sanctuary after our congregational meeting. Uh, we are putting together an adult choir for Advent, um, rehearsing on December 10th to sing on the 17th. See Caleb and Allison Rumley if you're interested uh, in that. We've been blessed with a lot of babies and in the quiet moments of our service. They make their presence known, and it's just a delight delightful sound. We're so glad to have so many babies in our congregation. We get to baptize one this morning. And before I invite Oliver and Sadie Bud to come up with Charlotte, let me just say a, a word about what we're doing for those who are new among us. As every time we do this, that we baptize because it's not our idea, it's Jesus' idea. He commanded us to baptize. He instituted baptism. Uh, the water in baptism that we uh, sprinkle represents the cleansing from sin by the blood of Christ. And so what baptism represents is our union with Christ. It's uh, being brought into the covenant of grace. It's being recognized as belonging to the covenant community, which is the church. And the question is, why do we baptize infants? They're not old enough to make a believable profession of faith. And the reason why is because God gave a sign in the Old Testament in circumcision to be administered to those in the covenant community, his people, Israel. Uh, to boys when they were eight days old, as, when they were infants, as a sign that they were being born into the covenant community. They were included in the covenant of grace, which was a tremendous privilege. And now as we turn to the page to the New Testament, baptism is a replacement sign for circumcision. It symbolizes and seals the same thing. And so if circumcision was given to uh, baby boys at eight days old, it, it stands to reason that now in the church, God's covenant people, Infants of believing parents should also be baptized and receive this sign that God instituted as an indication that they are born into the covenant community. They are included in the covenant of grace. This is affirmed in the New Testament and the early church. A number of points in the New Testament, but one place, when Peter preaches his first sermon in Acts, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. I say this, and it's important to say, when a child is baptized, it does not mean the experience of inward grace is tied to this particular moment, but that promise reaches the whole of life. So when a baby reaches, grows up and reaches the age of discretion, we hope that they will publicly profess their faith in Christ as a believing person, as confirmation that what we're doing this morning was signified and sealed in baptism, has become a spiritual reality in their lives. So with that, I'd like to invite Oliver and Sadie to come up with uh, Charlotte. And uh, Henry is going to come up to us. It's amazing. It's not too long ago that we were baptizing Henry. And here now we're baptizing uh, Charlotte. So it's great to see their family growing. And I just want to say well, a word of welcome to family and friends who aren't usually here, but are here for this occasion. Welcome. It's great to have you uh, with us. I'll already say to hear your, your vows, which are familiar to you, but uh, you're taking them sign for Charlotte. Do you acknowledge Charlotte's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you claim God's covenant promises in her behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for her salvation as you do for your own? 
Do you now unreservedly dedicate Charlotte to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before her a godly example, that you will pray with and for her, that you will teach her the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now a question for us as their church family. Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture of their child? Thank you. Can I hold her? Charlotte Lorraine Bud, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift of Charlotte Lorraine to Oliver and Sadie and Henry and to our church family. We thank you that she is fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have knit her together in her mother's womb, that all her days were ordained for her before even one of them came to be. And so we now ask that you would sustain her, that she would grow in all ways and wisdom and, and stature and favor with others and favor with you, just as the Lord Jesus did when he was born into this world as a little baby. We pray, Lord, that you'd be at work in Charlotte's heart, that you'd form genuine faith in Jesus Christ in her heart, that she would know your love day by day. Your mercies would be new every morning. We pray, Lord, for Oliver and Sadie, and we pray that as you have given them this gift in Charlotte, that you would now equip them with everything they need to be her parents, with your wisdom and your patience and your discipline and your uh, compassion. Lord, we thank you that we get to be the Bud's church family, and we pray that you equip us with a sensitivity and wisdom and support and love to support them in any way they need. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please join me in welcoming the newest member of Redeemer Montclair. And a few things for you, her first catechism and a certificate of her baptism. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to now dismiss our children to their Sunday school classes, and let's take the opportunity to greet one another.
like to invite you to begin making your way back to your seats. Our Old Testament scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, and Jojo Fagarello is going to be our reader this morning. Jojo. Good morning. Old Testament reading, Job, chapter 1, 6 through 12. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flock and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is God's word. One part of our worship is to respond to God with our gifts and with our hearts. We have the opportunity to do that now. I'd like to invite the ushers forward. As you offer your gifts and offer your hearts, you can listen to the musical offering. Jesus. <laughs> 
Please turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We are going to consider again verses 9 through 15. Let me read it for you again, and then we'll uh, zero in on one phrase, the sixth petition. Here's what Jesus says. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to your word again with anticipation and expectation. Because we know that you speak through your word. We pray that you would do that this morning. Speak a word in season for each one of us. Help us to have open ears and open hearts to receive. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As far as you know, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase. And hopefully you've seen by now, if you've been here with us, how rich and comprehensive this prayer is it really provides a framework for our prayers. Each phrase is really a heading of a whole area of prayer, and I hope you've learned this, and, and, and as I have used, learned to use, started using this. I've used this, this fall as a framework for my prayers, my personal prayer time. It's been so helpful, and I commend that to you. This morning, we come to the sixth and final petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Next week, we'll consider the doxology, and especially why it doesn't appear in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, so we'll talk about that and finish off this series, and then the week after that we'll start our Advent series because the Advent season will be upon us. I want to begin this morning with a question. If you are a Christian here, which more accurately describes your expectations of what the Christian life is like? Is the Christian life like being a sprinter, hearing the starting gun go off and exploding from the starting line and running 100 yards as quickly as you can? Or is it like being a running back, exploding across the line of scrimmage and running, trying to run 100 yards of the field as quickly as you can? Which is it? Both a running back and a sprinter have a lot of things in common, but they have some things that are different. In common, they are both running for a goal, but they have some differences. No one's trying to knock down the sprinter, but the running back has opponents. Sprinter makes unimpeded progress towards the goal. The running back gets knocked down every few yards, and progress is slow and little by little. The sprinter doesn't really need help from anyone. They rarely fall. But the running back won't make progress unless he gets help. What are your expectations of the Christian life? Expectations, I think, determine a lot of our experience of life. Just to move for a moment to another area. For example, our, our, um, 
our marriage expectations determine a lot of our satisfaction in marriage. So, for example, if you enter into marriage with the expectation that you will always feel romantic feelings toward your spouse, that you'll always feel like they're your soulmate, and you'll never fight, you might be in for a surprise. Here are some different expectations for marriage from Stanley Hauerwas, who taught ethics for many years at Duke University. He says this, we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary challenge is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. That's pretty different. I mean, so many people expect of marriage that it will be primarily about self-fulfillment and finding that one right person for you and your soulmate. Stanley Hauerwas says we always, in one sense, marry the wrong person. As a way of saying, don't be surprised if you wake up one morning in your marriage and you say, oh, did I marry the wrong person? Stanley Hauerwas would say, well, that's normal because change is inevitable. And the challenge of marriage is learning how to love another person through the changes of life. Your expectations of marriage will determine in great measure your experience of marriage. And in the same way, our expectations of Christianity will determine our experience of it. And as you might have anticipated, I would suggest that the Christian life is more like the running back. Christian life is not smooth sailing. It's not straight line progress. There is opposition and hardship. Progress is made with difficulty sometimes after getting knocked down and getting up and getting knocked down and getting up again. I could quote many scripture verses here, but I'll quote two. Peter says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Paul and Barnabas taught the Christians in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So if we go into the Christian life with expectations of a sprinter, then the first time hardship hits, the first time opposition hits, we'll start to wring our hands and, and we'll get disillusioned and, and we'll say to ourselves, why is this happening to me? And we'll say to others, why is this happening to me? And we might say to God, why is this happening to me? And we'll grow disillusioned. But the Christian life is more like a running back. And this last petition that we're considering this morning is a prayer for protection. I point out that the last three petitions are really the basics of the Christian life, really our prayers for everything we need fundamentally as Christians, for provision, for daily bread, for pardon, for forgiveness of sins, which brings us into a relationship with God, and then for protection as we live the Christian life. What the sixth petition tells us this morning is that we need God's protection in the Christian life. And I think this petition, the two parts of it, give us two reasons why. We need God to protect us in temptation, and we need God to protect us from the evil one. We need God to protect us in temptation, and we need God to protect us from the evil one. So first, God's protection in temptation. Now, if you're like me, you might be confused by this Petition, the first half of it, lead us not into temptation. And that word means enticing to evil. And you say, wait, wait a second. Wait, does God do this? Does God entice us to evil? So we have to say, God, please don't entice me to evil. 
See, James 1 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. I mean, that makes it pretty clear. God cannot tempt and he does not tempt. So so then what does this mean? Well, this word temptation can also mean testing. And so we could translate this, lead us not into testing. But the problem with that is that the Bible also clearly teaches that God does sometimes lead us into testing. James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. It's the same word, testing. When you face testing of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Or 1 Peter 1. For a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There's the same word, tests. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine. So testing is good. And it's part of the Christian life. So then how do we understand this petition, do not lead us, lead us not into temptation? Well, I think the best solution is to take the two phrases of this petition together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're, we're meant to take these together. They're joined by a conjunction, but we're, we're meant, it's one idea. It's two sides of the same coin. It's a negative and a positive And so when you take the two together, I think what the first phrase means is this sense. Do not allow us to be exposed to temptation and testing, which will overwhelm us, by which we'll be defeated by the evil one. I think this petition is very similar to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. In other words, I think this is a prayer for protection in the midst of temptation and testing that we might not give in to the evil one. Because in every temptation, there is a test. And in every test, there is oftentimes temptation. And this petition is a recognition that God can protect us in that temptation and in that testing. I remind you of the story of Job. Jojo read just a little portion of it, of his story. Job was sorely tempted and tried by Satan. Job faced in his life more than most of us will ever face in our lives. Satan tempted and tried him. But I remind you, Satan had to ask God for permission for what he did. In other words, God was in control at every point of that test and that temptation. Warren Wearsby puts it this way. When God allows his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the clock. He knows how much and how long. When my kids were young, we spent a lot of time at the playground. I know a lot of you are in that season where there's just a lot of delightful time at the playground. And I remember back to those days, and my engagement as a dad depended on their age in great measure. It changed the years. When they were young, when they were like two or three they would get on that ladder, and they would, they would struggle. They would get on the swinging bridge, and they would struggle. But it didn't matter because I was right there. I, I, I pretty much followed them around the, the playground. Why? I wanted them to face challenges because it's part of their, their growth and development. I mean, that's how they grow. That's how they develop. But I was right there because I knew. I knew they'd, be strugg- I knew they'd struggle. I knew they'd fall, and I was right there to pick them up. But of course, as they got older, I was able to keep more of a a distance. I would wait on the bench. I'd I'd watch them because I knew that they had the appropriate strength and development. They could do all the big 
elements on that playground. They could go to the, t- the tallest slide. They could swing on the monkey bars. And I just w- would watch from the, from the bench. But I'd always be present because I knew my kids. I knew what they needed. I knew how close I needed to be. I allowed them to face challenges, but I was ready to help when I knew the challenges would become too great. And what Jesus is saying is we have a heavenly father just like this. You know, young children, when they're first learning how to swim, they'll say, Daddy, don't let my head go under the water. Don't let my head go under the water. Or when we're putting them to bed at night, they'll say, Daddy, don't leave me alone in the dark. And the sixth petition, Jesus gives us a prayer just like this. Heavenly Father, don't let me face temptation that's going to overwhelm me. There is temptation. There is testing in the Christian life. And it is, when it happens, is for our own good. I came across these words from the Westminster Confession of Faith in the chapter on providence. Listen to what the Confession of Faith says. The most wise, righteous, and gracious God does oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their hearts, to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. Did you hear that? That's from the confession of faith. God allows his children to face manifold temptations for a season for his redemptive purposes. Let me reflect on that. I think there are some things that, that are best learned, sometimes maybe only learned, Through temptation and testing, for example, dependence on God. I mean, when do we really learn to depend on God? If we have nothing hard in our lives that ever happens, do we really depend on God? Or do we depend on ourselves, which we're really good at? It's oftentimes, not until we're forced, we're we're faced with something that's too great for us, do we reach out in a prayer of dependence on God? We learn dependence on God best in times of testing and temptation. We learn perseverance in these times. We have to have something to persevere through in order to learn perseverance. The mother eagle pushes her young eaglets out of the nest at the appropriate time. Why? Because they'll never learn to fly. They'll never learn to have the strength to fly unless the the mother pushes the the little eaglet out of the nest. We learn perseverance by having to face difficult things. Manifold temptations, chimes of testing. Here's one more. There's, there's many. This is, it could be a longer list, but here's one more. Things that we learn in times of temptation and testing. We learn about the depth of our sin. This is the confession of faith. It says God leaves us to the corruption of our hearts. He leaves us to struggle in our sin. Amazing. God leaves us to struggle in our sin for a time that we might see the hidden strength and corruption and deceitfulness of our own hearts. Because if we never struggle with sin, we'll never see our need for a Savior. And so sometimes God allows us to face temptation and testing as we see our need for a Savior. God allows these times, but this prayer, lead us not into temptation, is a recognition of the fact that God can, can protect us 
in times of testing and temptation. It's a prayer. Don't let me face temptation that's going to be too great. Don't let me face a test that's going to do me in and, and, and put me in the hands of the evil one. God protects us in temptation. And then secondly, God also protects us from the evil one. The Greek of this phrase, uh, deliver us from evil, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us uh, from evil, could be evil in general. But I think the NIV in the bulletin has it right. It's the evil one. I think there are grammatical and contextual reasons to translate it, deliver us from the evil one. As a way of saying, this is a prayer not just from a general prayer of deliverance from evil in general, but a particular prayer for deliverance from the evil one, that is Satan. Now, I know that the idea of Satan is one that is scoffed at today. This is an idea that is caricatured by perhaps a guy in a red suit and a pitchfork. This is an idea that is considered a pre-modern myth and superstition. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe in, in Satan in this modern-day culture. But consider this. If Satan does not exist, I think it's hard to explain the reality and persistence of evil. If there's no Satan. Because if there's no Satan, where does evil come from? I mean, think with me. If evil ultimately comes from God, then he's a mix of good and evil and not worthy of our worship and trust. If evil comes from certain evil people, I mean, a lot of people say, well, there's a few bad apples in every lot. All right? That's the case. Then why, why does evil persist in our world? I mean, if, if it's just a few bad apples, why can't we educate people? Why can't we incarcerate the, the, the few bad apples and make this world a better place? How come that never happens? How come evil is so persistent? despite our best efforts. If you believe in a naturalistic world, like John Lennon, you imagine that there's no heaven or hell. It's just this world. This is all there is. Then we really have a problem on our hands. Because then really there's no such thing as evil itself. It's just a human construct, right? If, if this material world is all there is, there's really no such thing as evil. It's just a group of people got together and said, well, that's evil. Let's just decide that that's evil. But when, then when you say something is evil, someone can say, well, says who? According to who? I don't see that as evil. If nature is all there is, you see, whatever happens, happens. There is no ultimate category for good and evil. I mean, terrorist attacks are not evil. It's just what happens in, in this world. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. My friends, Christianity explains evil by talking about Satan. A lot. The Bible presents Satan as a supernatural being not to be trifled with. The name Satan comes from a Hebrew word that means adversary. Satan is the adversary of God and his people. Always opposing God. Trying to undo what he wants to do in his people. He's called the evil one. He's called the destroyer. His aim is nothing less than to destroy you in this life and the next. And he has many means at his disposal to do so. He is called the accuser of God's people. And so one of his weapons that he wields is to accuse you and tell you that you're not worthy to call yourself a son or daughter of your heavenly father. He's called the tempter. It's one of his strongest weapons is temptation, like he used against Jesus himself in the wilderness. Let me tell you, he knows your weaknesses. He knows your vulnerabilities. He's been watching, and he will try to tempt you away from trusting in God. 
He is called a murderer and the father of lies. Again, one of his most powerful weapons is lies, like he used against Adam and Eve in, in the garden. What did he say to them? A blatant lie. He said, God knows that if you eat of the tree, you won't surely die. Who told you that? That's not true. Satan is the master of misinformation and lies. And we are now fully aware of how disruptive misinformation and lies can be, and Satan uses that. Satan sometimes masquerades as an angel of light. He disguises himself so he can use deception and fool you into following him by making it seem that you're doing something good. He's, in fact, happy that you don't believe in him. If you don't believe in Satan, Satan's pretty happy about that because that, that gives him more freedom to operate. He has many means at his disposal, and he's very powerful. 1 Peter 5 says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. A number of biblical passages call him the prince of the God of this world, which is to say Satan does have a lot of power in this world. He's more powerful than humans. This is why we need to pray that God will protect us from the evil one because if it weren't for God's protection, Satan would have his way with us. He would. Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. We need God's protection from the evil one. One of the great pictures in the Bible of the power of Satan is in Mark chapter 5. We preached through this when we went through the, the gospel of Mark. It's the story of the demon-possessed man. Remind you, this, this man was out of control. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind or control this man. They, they tried to. They put chains on him, and he would just break them apart. I mean, that's superhuman. They would put irons on his feet. He would just break them apart. That's, that's superhuman strength. No one could subdue this man. It's a picture of the power of Satan. It's a picture of the destructive purposes of Satan. Satan destroys this man. He's a shell of a man. He is destroyed physically. He's uncontrollably violent. He cuts himself. Uh, Satan destroys him mentally. It, it is, this man is a complete wreck of a man, uh, intellectually, emotionally, mentally. He destroys him socially. This man has to live in social isolation. He's ruined all of his relationships. He can't live in community. He's all on his own. He lives among the tombs. He's literally a walking dead person. When the demons are cast out of him, they enter a large herd of pigs, 2,000 in number, and, and the, the demons destroy this herd of pigs. They rush over the cliff and into the lake and, and are destroyed. It's an image of the destructive power of Satan. But it's also a picture, Mark 5, is of the greater power of Jesus. You see, when the demons get into the presence of Jesus, what happens? They fall on their knees before him. They beg Jesus. They beg him, please do not send us from this area. They recognize Jesus' ultimate and absolute authority, and they bow before it. And when Jesus allows the, the demons to go in the pigs, it's, it's a visual evidence of the power transaction. Lest you think this was just psychological, it's a visible demonstration of the power transaction that happens in Mark 5. And Jesus, in his infinite and greater power, restores this man. From Satan's control. And after Jesus' power releases him, he's sitting and dressed in his right mind. His humanity has been restored. His physical health has been restored. 
his mental health has been restored. It's, the, it's a picture of the greater power and healing purposes of Jesus. Satan is a great power, but the greater power is in Jesus Christ. In the sixth petition, and in the gospel accounts, it's clear that Jesus believes in Satan. And so if you're here this morning and you consider Jesus a good teacher and a moral example, it forces us to acknowledge the reality of Satan. Because Jesus talked about him all the time and believed in him. And so if you don't believe in Satan, you have to then say, Jesus, well, it was confused at this point. He was deluded at this point. And you know better than Jesus. In the sixth petition, and in the gospel accounts, Jesus teaches us that we are no match for Satan, but Satan is no match for Jesus. The demons fall on their knees before him. They recognize his absolute and ultimate authority. The Satan, the, 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 the Satan must ask Jesus for permission to sift Peter like wheat. Jesus has absolute authority over Satan, and he, de he defeats him decisively at the cross. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says, Jesus canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. Satan cannot accuse God's people anymore of their sins. They've been forgiven in Jesus Christ at the cross. Satan has no claim on God's people. They've been forgiven. No more accusations. Verse 15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In Jesus Christ, God has given us all we need for protection from the evil one. My friends, our battle is not against flesh and blood, ultimately, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. Ephesians 6, if you're familiar with it, gives us the spiritual armor that we can take our stand against the evil one. But Jesus says here where this starts, the first step of protection is prayer. This prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We need protection in the Christian life because we have an adversary who is powerful and cunning, who attacks and continues to accuse and tempts and deceives and knocks down. But Jesus Christ can protect us in temptation and from the evil one. But we must ask. That's the point of the Lord's Prayer. We must ask. This is an invitation to pray. And so my question to us this morning is, are we praying? Are we praying because we recognize we need God's help, his protection? And is this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is this a part of our prayers? If you're in a war and you're losing, and supplies and weapons are running low, but you find out that there are supplies and weapons available, if you ask, you would ask. I would ask. We are in a battle. And how much more should we ask our Heavenly Father? For help. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord's Prayer. We thank you for teaching us how to pray, for giving us this framework. Thank you for this sixth petition, reminding us that we do have an adversary who is stronger than us, but not too strong for you. 
And so, Lord, teach us how to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come this morning to the Lord's table. 1 John 3 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It's one of the reasons why Jesus came into this world. The reason why Jesus came into this world is therefore not just to deliver us from sin and that we might be forgiven. We understand our salvation that way, but also to deliver us from Satan, from the influence and power of the evil one. That's part of our salvation as well. At the cross, Jesus rescued us from sin and Satan and death. And at this table, we now commune with our Savior. And we are reminded that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He has delivered us at the cross and can continue to deliver us. We sang a few moments ago, if we are weak, we should come to him. If we are in fear, we should come to him. My friends, that's what we're doing at the table. We're coming to him. We're meeting our Savior and asking him for strength and for help. If you are not yet a Christian, if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized in a gospel-believing church, I would encourage you to refrain from taking the elements because it wouldn't be a reflection of where you are spiritually. But what I have to offer you this morning is Jesus Christ. Come to him. That's the first step. Come to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this table. Table spread at the cost of our Savior, his blood, his body broken for us. Lord God, thank you that he meets us by the Spirit at this table. We are fearful and weak, and you've invited us to come to him. Lord, we come to commune with our Savior at this table. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and remind us of your presence. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Please respond with the words on the screen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. The gifts of God are for the people of God. I'd like to invite those who are helping me to serve the bread and the cup to please come forward. And I remind you that if you need gluten-free bread or prepackaged elements, they'll be in my tray and be happy to serve you at the back of the sanctuary if you meet, if you meet me there. I could 
knows he saves or his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall
body and blood of Christ given for us. Let's partake together. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we are fearful, we can come to you. When we are weak, we can come to you. We thank you that you are our Savior and Deliverer. And you delivered us from sin and Satan and death and continue to deliver us. We pray that we would know your presence and know your strength as we leave this table. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and respond together. Arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the out to those in darkness our call to war to love the captive soul but to rage against the captor and with the sword that makes the wounded whole we will fight with faith and valor Son of God is stricken, and see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet, for the conqueror has risen, and as the stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the grave, this victory march continues to the day, every
I forgot to mention is because we have a congregational meeting, a short one just after the service, we'll keep your kids in their classrooms and so you can stay for the congregational meeting, which will take just take a few minutes and then pick your, your kids up after that. Now open your hands and receive God's blessing for his people. And now may the love of God our Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship and friendship of the Holy Spirit be yours today and forever. Amen. Now go in the fullness of his love and mercy to serve this community and the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go in peace.